Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. No Gavin today, but I brought on a great guest to talk about the Knicks' two wins this weekend that propelled them to the number four seed in the East. I have Matthew Miranda with me today. He is a writer for the Strickland and for Posting and Toasting and the host of the Jacobin Sports Show podcast. We talk about all kinds of stuff. First, just kind of the feeling of this season, what it feels like to see the Knicks clinch the number four seed. We talk about just overall expectations going into the playoffs and you know what we're, we're kind of thinking that we want to see from the Knicks, what we'd be happy with. And then we finally finish off talking about just kind of if these last two games were concerning at all, the fact that the Knicks were facing, you know, inferior opponents and still kind of had to pull these games out right at the end, or if ultimately the end result is all that really matters. And also kind of get into the weeds a little bit, even though we were trying not to, because there's like a whole week to figure this out. We talk a little bit about things that we think the Knicks should do going into the playoffs, some little strategic things that that could potentially be a difference maker in the series against the Hawks and, you know, maybe even get the Knicks a second round berth, which would be just completely out of this world. So we have lots of great stuff to talk about. I won't hold this up any longer. It's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked on Knicks. The NBA playoffs are almost here. Don't miss the big storylines and team previews you can find every day on the Locked on NBA podcast. Spoiler alert, I am on said podcast today. The Knicks are the talk of the town. Follow the Locked on NBA podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland. And Gavin is off today. He had a Busy weekend full of uh, commentating on sports games. I'm very happy for him that he's he's back to doing what he loves. And speaking of people that it always shows through that they're loving what they're doing, uh, I have Matthew Miranda with me. He is a writer at the Strickland, a writer at Posting and Toasting, and the host of the Jacobin Sports Show. If you have not checked that out, that is a, a great sports podcast with a little more outside-of-the-box approach. But Miranda, how are you doing? How are you feeling after the Knicks today have clinched the four seed? I feel many things. Um, I feel terrific. I feel I accept it, but it's the whole season has been so weird that I still haven't quite wrapped my head around. I, I, I don't think till very, very recently, really not till they lost the Laker game, did I start to concretely think about what's going to be next for them. And um, I still am just shocked by this season. Um, Today's the perfect, you know, way to close off this very, very strange season. I feel many, many things. 
I feel great, but I don't feel like it's completely real. It's so, it's so weird. Yeah, I kind of feel that. So, I mean, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't just give the quick box scores. Of course, how we got here, the Knicks win 118 to 109 against the Hornets on Saturday. It took overtime to get that one done, but sort of encouraging in its own special way. The Knicks, you know, they they let the Hornets back in after getting up huge on them, uh, let it even get to overtime, which was disappointing, but then just sort of remembered, oh, yeah, we're a good team. We could beat these guys. Uh, outscored them 14-5 to five in overtime to put that one away. And then today against the Celtics, same sort of story. Uh, the Knicks were facing the Celtics, like, C team, I guess. It wasn't even their B team. Uh, the Celtics rested their top seven players, and the Knicks basically got to face what was left. And the Knicks went full strength at them and, you know, for a minute kind of put their foot on the gas and said, okay, we're the Knicks. We're really good. Got up by big. And then same thing, gave up the lead down the stretch just by kind of letting off a little too early. I guess I can understand the complacency to a degree because they they know already that they're a playoff team, but they were fighting for that four seed which they did get in large part thanks to Milwaukee not resting their players on Saturday night and beating up on the Heat, who had to have Jimmy Butler out. So that's a godsend as well. Now the Knicks draw the Hawks. But Miranda, I did want to kind of go more uh, big picture, you know, which is where you're kind of going there because I kind of feel the same way. This This year has been so weird. I don't know if it's just the the condensed schedule, you know, I, th- I think that probably has something to do with it where I still feel kind of like th- this season started like two weeks ago because everything just moved at such a breakneck pace this year. I was looking, for example, like, I mean, I know you of all people can relate to this, uh, given that you've written so many recaps for the Strickland this year. But like I was looking at the the file name when I got uh, the the artwork uh, from the always great John Shulman for today's recap. And it was like recap number 76 or something. And I was like, cause it included the preseason games right. too. Right. And I was like 76 dude, it's on 76 games or whatever, or 70, I guess it's technically 77. I don't know if his numbers got off at some point, but mm-hmm. just insane to think that, that they've played between preseason and now the, the regular season, they've played like uh, close to 80 games and mm-hmm. we're already done with it. And they're in the playoffs as the number four seed. Like, I just haven't had a moment yet to sort of stop and just appreciate that. And I guess these like five days off will be kind of a good thing for that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the five days off. Um, I think that the condensed nature of the season did play around. I I think it intensified what was already going to be a weird season, but like I I double checked for a piece the other day and had forgotten that it was maybe less than six weeks ago that this was a sub 500 team. Um, which was they were 25 and 27, which still to that point was wow, like the Knicks are flirting with 500. Like, what it was still a good year, but I think because it's only 72 games, and because I don't know, but I feel like I know it wasn't the same for all teams, but I feel like the second half of the season was like a little more condensed for the Knicks. Um, it, it just once they went on that winning streak which was late and such a disproportionate larger part of the season than it normally is. Like I I didn't know, I didn't know what to make of it as they were climbing for most of the season. Like I came in thinking 
their ceiling is play in tournament. And maybe, you know, if you're in the play in tournament, you, you can always win. You just need to win a couple of games and you're in the playoffs. And I really thought that was their ceiling. Like that was the best that they there could be. When they're hanging around 500 most of the year, the way the East was this season, then you're thinking like, oh, maybe they could get to, maybe they could get to six. Like feels a little greedy, but maybe they could do it. And then here you are at the end and you're, you're, you're asked mentally and spiritually to comprehend home court advantage and a, a very probable chance at, like, I would say the Knicks are, are, at least in the eyes of their fans, favored. I think they I think most Knicks fans will, will expect the team to beat Atlanta. They've had a lot of success in recent years with Atlanta. I think they swept them this season. Um, it's very hard to just track any of this. Because, like, at yeah. what point this year did you – at what point this year did you feel, yeah, this this is a team that could get to the second round, definitely? Oh, I – like, the last week can change maybe, you know, as yeah. far as a team that could potentially get to the second round. And that was very yeah. matchup dependent, you know. Absolutely. I think they have no chance against Miami. Like, no. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think that's a horrible matchup for them. I think against the Bucks too – Mm-hmm. You know, just too much firepower there. I think the Hawks are like literally the one team that the Knicks mm-hmm. could potentially beat in the playoffs and make to the second round, and maybe even do it handily. I mean, I honestly think yes. I think Knicks fans might be feeling themselves in about a week and a half, you know, two weeks time, whatever, <laughs> with the Knicks winning that series potentially in five games or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would not be at all surprised by that. But that kind of I was just thinking sort of the other thing too that's kind of crazy about how this season is closed out. It, when you think about that, like six weeks ago or whatever time frame, the Knicks were like up at, even before the win streak, they were kind of hanging around that like four or five spot. Yeah. And you were like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like they're only like a game or two above 500 and they're like just below the cream of the crop here. Like this, this doesn't feel quite right. And then all of a sudden, it, it wasn't just the Knicks to turn it on, but suddenly like the Hawks and the Heat both went almost just as nuclear as the Knicks did. And suddenly like the top six in the East this year actually were really good and really competitive. Like Mm -hmm. the, all, all six of them, you know, the worst team among them was the heat at eight games above 500. I think that's kind of a new benchmark for the East right now, because it was only what, two, three years ago that the Nets were the the sixth seed. That's the only one that stands out in my head, really, just because obviously of the the significance of where that led the Nets after that. Right. But, you know, the Nets were the sixth seed at 42 and 40 just mm-hmm. a few years ago. And mm-hmm. typically it's it's usually below 500 teams uh, in the seven and eight spot. And you even have the Celtics at 500. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other two spots, or I guess three spots after that are all below 500 teams. But it, just the way that the whole rest of the East turned it on around the Knicks too mm-hmm. was pretty wild, I think. And and it was it was cool to see the Knicks just kind of hold serve and not fold. It feels like I'm conditioned to think that you know when the the situation presents itself for the Knicks to do something good, they pretty much always fold down the stretch. And they they just kind of matched the energy of everybody else around them, and and in many cases, I think exceeded it as far mm-hmm. as just making sure that they did what they had to do to get this four seed, which was. It's a new feeling for sure. Yeah, that's been one of the one of the hallmarks of this team this season is that gener- is when they have to do something, they do it, and even sometimes, like you're saying, they go beyond 
um, that you'll be on that benchmark even and, and do things that really surprise you and have that, that whole West Coast trip. Um, I would have signed up before the trip for two and four. I really thought like, you know, they need to win the Houston game. Memphis could be tricky because they had just beaten them like a week or two prior. Um, there were very difficult games on that trip. I would have taken two and four. My whole vision was, you know, go two and four on the trip and then win out at home. And like, there's your shot. And, you know, all season, like you're saying, they were in that four or five spot. But I think up for a while, when they were like 500 or a game above or a game below, at that point, I kept expecting um, Boston and Miami to like get with it at some point. And they would start winning and okay, like maybe the Knicks can hold on to six and beat out Atlanta like to actually get in. But I really do think that they're potentially set up. And I, I think matchups like you're saying matter because if Miami's five, this could be a very short, you know, post disappointing postseason run. But not only do they match up well with Atlanta, but of the higher seeds, just because I think style of play, um, they play Philly tough. And I don't expect them to beat the Sixers at all. But that could be the kind of series that you lose in five games or six games that are, like, pretty competitive. And you go to an offseason having won a playoff series and played someone else, played the, the, the top seed, you know, to, to, a, to a small margin. I mean, I can't even imagine what the, the vibe will be like going into the offseason if, if that's what they do. Yeah, certainly something to keep an eye on and something that could maybe draw some players to the Knicks maybe as soon as this offseason. And uh, I got a little little something to throw out there right now. Maybe you're the hiring expert for your company and you want to draw some employees, some new prospective employees to your company. And that place to go for you is Indeed. Because if you really need help making your short list of quality candidates, and need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier, you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy with tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. That is no small chunk. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Again, Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and we're back to Locked On Knicks, and we are talking about the Knicks becoming the number four seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, which was honestly completely earned by them. They finished the season 10 games over 500 at 41 and 31. They won the games that they needed to win. And Miranda, we kind of closed that last segment talking about what this could mean 
for the Knicks going forward. I think it's kind of important to set expectations too, though. We've seen the realistic expectations of, you know, people are sort of saying like, oh, I think the Knicks could beat the Hawks. I, I also think there's a world where the Knicks could not beat the Hawks. I mean, it's easy to mm-hmm. easy to forget, but like, you know, they did beat the Hawks uh, in a couple matchups, but they almost lost the one uh, due to the fact that like they the Hawks were kind of charging back and then, or they were kind of, they were up a little bit on the Knicks. That was what that one was. And Trey Young hurt himself, sprained his ankle there. And that ultimately kind of gave the Knicks the window that they needed to finish that game off, finish their comeback, win that one, uh, which was great for Knicks fans, but obviously for Hawks fans, probably pretty frustrating. Um, but I, I'm kind of curious. I mean, I don't want to get too far into the weeds as far as playoff preview, because quite frankly, we have a whole week's worth of shows to fill here with no games mm-hmm. for the Knicks with okay. one playoff series coming up. So I'm sure this week on the show, we're going to be talking about this a lot, but what are like your expectations going into this Hawks series? Like, how do you see this playing out? Do you think, I mean, we've kind of seen this with like James Harden and other players of Trey Young's ilk in the past uh, that suddenly the whistle changes a little bit in the playoffs and it throws off how they've been playing their game and makes things a lot harder on them when they're, they're the type of player that consistently relies on a, a very tight whistle during the, the regular season. So kind of what are your expectations going into this series? Like maybe optimistically and realistically, and do those even sort of align in a way? Because I think, I think I've been saying for weeks now that I pretty much feel like the, the Knicks are playing with house money at this point, that no result is going to bother me. Even if I, I'm, I would lean towards saying with this particular matchup, I think they probably should win, but if they didn't, I wouldn't exactly be the most heartbroken person in the world, but I don't know. It, it's like a real tricky situation. Where are you kind of standing with all that right now? I think that it's, I think that it's potentially significant more than usual that the Knicks got home court for this series because I think in in regards to what you're saying, um, I think Trey Young is going to be a major determining factor in how the series goes, and it's his. I'm pretty sure it's his first playoffs. They didn't make it last year. It is, um, yeah. That's why they spent all that money this year was to try yeah. to get him there the first time. So I think it's important that the series is opening in New York because I, I do believe, um, particularly in the playoffs and particularly with the crowd size, I think is going up uh, from two to five or 6,000. Yeah, um, I think they're going, it's from 10% to 25% now, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah. So it's going to be around 5,000. I think that that's, particularly in New York, there's enough people to, to make some kind of a presence, especially um, juxtaposed for referees against arenas that have basically been empty or certainly much less crowded than that all season. And I think if the series were in Atlanta, um, not because of pressure from that crowd, even when they sell out, there's not much pressure, but I just think that he would have had an easier time getting calls in Atlanta that he won't get in New York. And I think if the tone is set, early in that way um it could be to the next benefit i think like you're saying i do think that uh, the success against atlanta in the regular season probably feels better than it actually matters because like you said uh they were winning a big game against the knicks late in the season when young got hurt i'm pretty sure in one of the early matchups at least gallinari was out um possibly other people too like you know the hawks were not healthy all season i, I think the team that we're going to see uh, a week from now is the best Hawk team that the Knicks will have seen this season. 
Um, I think, thankfully, you can say the same thing about the Knicks team that the Hawks will get. Um, it, it's interesting to feel as confident as I do because the Hawks have the best point guard in the series. I would say the Hawks have the best center in the series. Um, they certainly have some good wings. Um, I could definitely see the Hawks winning, um, but I feel like the Knicks bring, uh, and I think it's been one of the more pleasant parts of this season. Like you have to think about what the other team can do, but the Knicks do a lot of things now also. Um, and they're going to be, I, I don't think the Knicks are a team that Atlanta feels like lucky that they got in the first round at all. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like a lot of teams were probably dreading potentially facing the Knicks in the first yeah. round. Yeah. And the Hawks just so happen to end up being that team. Because um, I I don't think I would have wanted to face them either. The, the one thing that seems pretty universally accepted, if you talk to people that just follow the league at large, um, at, like, for example, this is like a totally random interaction, but like, uh, the guy Mavs Draft, who's one of our one of our fellow Locked On hosts, uh, helps host the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, was in our our weekly locker room this past week, and I had made some comment about like, yeah, you know, I think one thing that is encouraging to me about the Knicks going into this playoffs is that they play a very playoff style of basketball, and they have all year. They play this like grinded out half court game, a lot of ugly, like by today's standards, a lot of ugly scores, you know, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like 99 to, you know, 96, whatever final scores in a game in 2021, which is just like not mm-hmm. a thing that happens all that often anymore. When you've got, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, like finishing 138 to 127 games all the time. Um, you know, I, I think they're pretty well equipped for this style of play and, and for this just like nasty, you know, stop people from getting into the paint sort of basketball that mm-hmm. always comes out in the playoffs. And, you know, ironically for all the posturing that was done by previous Knicks teams of the last umpteen number of years of like, Oh, we're bringing the nineties intensity back. Like this team never really talked that game too much <laughs> as far as like, you know, trying to to bring up the, the ghosts of the past and be like, we're just like them. We're going to, we're going to be tough like them. They just kind of went out and carved out their own identity as far as being one of the toughest teams in the league. Uh, and I think that's the reason that pretty much no team is going to want to see them because uh, teams are going to see like, okay, every playoffs, even if it's the New York Knicks, who I think many Knicks fans, myself included, feel like probably didn't get a super respectful whistle this year. Maybe that's something that'll be earned by next year uh, mm-hmm. where guys like Randall and RJ will start getting a little bit uh, better of respect when they're getting fouled on the inside or whatever. But you know, the, I feel like the Knicks didn't get a particularly great whistle during the year, but during the postseason, the refs generally, unless your name is like Joey Crawford, <laughs> who's not around anymore, uh, you know, generally refs are not making it about them in the playoffs. They kind of know, like, now's the time to let the players play and, and decide this and not have the headline tomorrow be like, ref screws up NBA conference semifinals game or whatever and and completely decides things. Um so it's it's interesting that, you know, I, I just think the Knicks, I think that's part of this confidence that comes with the Knicks right now is that they're going up against the team in the Hawks that was very reliant on that sort of beneficial officiating in the mm-hmm. way that Trey Young plays and the way that, you know, they're just their team operates. Uh, and the Knicks are like the antithesis of that. They're like the team that that doesn't really rely that much on free throw calls because they just didn't really get that many of them and instead just kind of relies on 
some finishing on the inside, but mostly lately it's just been great penetration and kickouts by like Randall, RJ, you name it, to find people on the perimeter to to hit a bunch of threes, which they've done at a great clip while also playing stifling defense on the other end. So it, it seems like the Knicks are pretty well built for the playoffs at this point. Yeah, one of the things I think that's been exciting about the Knicks is for the first, for the majority of the season, I think you would point to their success stemming from um, Randall and from the defense. And when they went on um, the nine-game winning streak and and particularly their last maybe maybe 16 games or so, um, it wasn't, they weren't shutting teams down the way they had earlier in the season. It was a lot more of the success was stemming from just unbelievable um, hot shooting from outside by everybody, which when you watch the games, like you're saying, came from seeing everybody being involved as a giver and a taker. Randall um, is, I wrote about this the other night, um, Randall is is a very unique kind of alpha dog in the sense that you can see late in games, he goes into his moves looking for some, you can see it that he's looking to pass it to someone. He's not looking to create a shot for himself. His first thought is, like, how can I use this to find somebody else, for better or worse? The first time the Knicks lose a playoff game because he does that, everyone's going to scream that he's too unselfish or something. But he has that inkling, and I think the rest of the team, I think they feed off it from him, they feed off it from Barrett. They have so many, and this is so unusual for a Knicks team. This is maybe one of the reasons for their, their great turnaround and success this year. They have so many players who are, capable playmakers between Derek Rose and Alec Burks and and quickly and and Randall obviously um even Noel I would say compared to Mitchell Robinson while he's less efficient and less dynamic um he presents some possibilities and some options that they, they can't even do with Mitch um Dodge Gibson has had some nice moments as a passer and a, a little pull-up jump shooter it's it's been really remarkable to see the different ways that they have seeded all season, and that does make you feel confident going into the playoffs. That like, if they have to win ninety two to eighty eight, they can. But of late, if they have to win one nineteen to one seventeen, they can do that. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting to see just how how versatile they can be on any given night. It's also, you know, if it, maybe if you decide that you want to place some bets on the Knicks, it could be a little difficult from time to time, especially playing those uh, total over-unders, stuff like that. But no matter what, if you want to bet some Knicks basketball, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Obviously, the NBA playoffs are also about to be in full swing as well. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch or tip-off or puck drop, whatever it is, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs or in the case of the Knicks, get ready to run through the playoffs, hopefully. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code Locked On. Again, that's betonline.ag, promo code Locked On to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 
And today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar ever. I'm sure plenty of people have heard of it. I've heard testimonials on Twitter, uh, in our locker room sessions, whatever. The people have tried Built Bars and they actually really love them. And I'm not kidding you guys. These are really good. I really like Built Bars. They have nine delicious flavors available at all times. Some of my favorites are peanut butter brownie, uh, salted caramel, coconut almond. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about coconut almond already, but it tastes just like an almond joy. It's delicious. It's covered in 100% chocolate, tastes just like a candy bar, but does not give you any of that candy bar guilt. That's because Built Bar flavors all have a great ratio of high protein to low calories, low sugar. For example, most flavors have 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. You're not going to beat that anywhere. And it's just honestly the best tasting protein bar on the market. And I'm not I'm not making that up. I've, I've eaten quite a few. I try to stay pretty active, and I'm always trying to find that good fuel source. And Built Bars are the best one I've found yet. So if you want to get some for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. If you want to try all those nine delicious flavors that are always available, potentially, get a mix box for yourself. You can get a box that has two of every flavor. Figure out which ones are your favorites. You can tell me I'm wrong about coconut almond, but you won't because if you like if you like almond joys, you'll love coconut almond. So again, go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you will get 15% off your first order of Built Bars. And with that, we're back. Those two ad breaks, that's it. That's it. You don't have to listen to any of the pre-recorded stuff, just me. Uh, so we're going to finish up our discussion here talking about, I mean, we should probably talk about the two games that happened over the weekend, at least a little bit. Um, I, I would almost just prefer to let them fade into the overall part of the season. I was thinking about it before, and I'm like, man, that was kind of a frustrating game, that Celtics game. But then I thought about it for a minute, and I was like, I don't care. I'm going to immediately switch to being happy because it, what it signified is way more important than the fact that like the Knicks almost blew a double-digit lead to the Celtics C team on the final game of the season. You know, it's it's more important that, you know, the grand scheme picture of everything. Nobody's going to be talking about like five years from now about how the Knicks, you know, almost blew that Celtics game at the end. They're going to be talking about like, oh, this is like a huge turning point for the Knicks. They hopefully hopefully things continue getting better. But like, <laughs> you know, this is like a big a big thing for the Knicks. You know, they made the four seed. They finished 10 games over 500 after being so bad for so long, made the playoffs for the first time since 12, 13. Like, no matter what happens over the next four or five years, we're definitely going to be talking about this year like we talk about the 12-13 year of just, like, this magical season where everything was awesome. So nobody's going to really be remembering these. That's why I didn't really, like, lead off with it. But I do think we should probably at least talk about the action a little bit. Again, they they beat the Hornets 118-109 to 109 on Saturday. Um, the Hornets were actually more or less uh, – they're pretty full strength. They were still missing um, – uh, Gordon Hayward, who they've been missing for a while, mm-hmm. but they did get back Miles Bridges, like somewhat unexpectedly, who then proceeded to score 30 points. <laughs> and like, I think it was like yeah. 16 in the third yeah. quarter, just an obscene yep. performance from Miles Bridges uh, that nobody asked for. Um, especially, you know, that's always just like a slap in the face to the fact that the Knicks have like Kevin Knox rotting on their bench. Um, <laughs> and then the Celtics. Uh, you know, again, I, I don't want to like beat the dead horse too much, but you know, they they were playing like their 
third stringers by and large. Taco Fall got significant minutes as much as I love Taco Fall. I, I'm sure people could go back to the 2019 draft pods and relive my love for him. But, uh, you know, he's, he's not a guy that should be playing big minutes in an NBA game probably. And he drew a pretty significant amount of minutes. You know, he had uh, all these various guys that barely play for the Celtics playing like most of the game. Uh, and they still managed to almost beat the Knicks, which was a little concerning. So I guess my, my question to lob at you for this Miranda is I, I don't want to, I don't feel like we have to go over the minutia of these games too much, but on the on the whole, do these did these last two games worry you at all, or do you think that this was just sort of like, yeah, all right, whatever. Like the Knicks were kind of just ready to be done with the regular season. It seems like they did exactly as much as they had to do, and not a bit more to win these two games to secure that first four seed. And the more important thing is just they won them, or is it kind of concerning that like, oh, this is the end of the season? Are they kind of burnt out? Like, granted, the five days of rest should hopefully make up for a lot of that, but. You know, where, where are you sort of feeling after after these two games and just how close they were? So I feel good about the fact that it was the first time that this team has faced the pressure of um, a concrete, you know, something concrete at stake and how do they respond to it? Because all year it's been basically pats on the back and they're doing better than anyone thought and they're a cute little team and they're doing well. But when you got down to the last weekend, especially after that Laker loss, uh, really the last three games, and they understood, like, okay, here's what's at stake, and if we want to achieve it, like, here's what we have to do to get it. And I think, I was thinking of it during the game today, like, despite the fact that, yes, it's the Celtic C team, um, which I think, I think we can overstate the benefit of that. It reminds me in baseball of when a team late scratches their their starter and they have to call someone up from the minor leagues and you think like, oh, there's an advantage. But a lot of times it's a picture that the team's not familiar with, they haven't scouted, they haven't seen. And we've all seen, maybe it happens disproportionately to the Mets, but we've all seen like guy comes in that nobody expected anything from and he does well. So I think the Celtics, it's the C team, but it's still professionals. It's still people who have skills and can do things like Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters, like they can do things and they did. Um, so I part of me takes it as a positive that when there was something finally at stake, this team that has to build a history of success together took a step towards that, um, particularly over the last five days. I think that's something to feel positive about. If there's anything from the games over the weekend that I think is worth watching going forward, it's the fact that in both games for long stretches late in the game, the Knicks went through like a drought. and it's a little weird that a team that, that particularly in the fourth is usually playing Randall and Barrett and Burks and, you know, quickly arose depending on who's had a better game. It's a little weird seeing that and wondering like, and, and Randall often doesn't check in until halfway through the fourth. So maybe that won't be as big a deal in the playoffs because I'm sure he'll, he'll play 47 minutes a game. Um, but that's one thing that caught my eye in both games was like a long, you're talking five, five minute stretches with no points. Um, and I, and I, I wonder sometimes I like Burks in place of certainly Peyton, but I, there are times and it happened a little bit in this game too. There are times when Burks is out there as the primary initiator that the Nick offense can look like really lacking. Um, 
and that's happened a bit the last two games, maybe that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that that's a little concerning as well. I, you know, I, I think there is a better balance to be struck, and maybe you can find that by sitting Peyton finally. I mean, yeah. uh, like Mark Berman just released a story today post game that seemed to insinuate like the clock might have finally struck midnight uh, on oh, Elf yeah. and. You know, there was there was a number of clips that came out today of him just just Lottie dying his way through defensive coverage. There was one that Tommy Beer tweeted out of him just kind of like dawdling in the corner, like with his hands on his hips, not even attempting to. He do was anything. lost at points. There were points today he was visibly. I don't know where where I don't know what he was up to, but he wasn't playing the game. Like yeah, I and tried to. And- I've I, he yeah yeah yeah. I was just say there's been the there's been like the videos and stills of him like still sitting on the bench too when the rest yeah. of the team is getting yeah. up during timeouts stuff like that yeah um just lots of lots of you know body language and and action type behavior from him that's been pretty pretty concerning of late and you know all kinds of theories being floated out there like oh is he told weeks ago that he's out for the playoffs like uh is he just like <laughs> Is he like trying to get fired, George Costanza style? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is at this point. Um, but I think maybe you can alleviate, you know, some of those issues you were just mentioning by doing that with him. Like, if you can set up a situation where Rose starts, and then eventually you sort of you you can then stretch Rose's minutes out differently. You know, you can you can have him play eight minutes to start and eight minutes to close each half or something, and mm-hmm. maybe even stretch him a little further than that, and that only leaves you know, like let's say six to eight minutes in the middle that you have to kind of fill roseless. And then, you know, if you could find ways to, to kind of moderate other guys minutes, you could potentially work Julius back in there. Like I actually really loved the sub pattern that Tibbs was doing during the, the win streak where he was actually subbing Julius out first. Mm-hmm. And it made a lot of sense. Like he was, he was subbing out Julius first and getting Obi in there. Um, yep. Usually it would be like almost in conjunction with Rose coming in, but Obi's been providing some pretty good minutes lately, so maybe you can then do that and then, you know, supplement Rose coming back out by putting Julius back in and using Julius as your engine, you know, when Rose is out, which I think works pretty well when Julius is, I mean, you already, you were noting like Julius sometimes, you know, it's, it's like all he wants to do is pass the ball. And I kind of love those moments, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where he's looking for Burks or Bullock or RJ or whoever along the perimeter. I, I think that that's some of the most, you know, beneficial, moments that the Knicks have on offense sometimes. Um, so I, I think that, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I'm beating this drum for, I, a lot of people have been beating this drum for months now, but I think that you could sort of solve some of these problems with the elf situation um, uh, of then you can just find better ways to stagger the guys. So there's always that primary playmaking out there. Cause you can very safely call Julius Randall a, a primary playmaker for this team at this point. Like mm-hmm. he leads the team in assists pretty much every night and it's not junk assists. Like he's, yeah, he is to this Knicks team what Draymond Green has been to the Warriors for years. Um, their best playmaker out of the the power forward you know spot on the floor, mm-hmm. and so I you know I think that that's something you can do. You know, if you have Burks out there as your quote unquote point guard, it's probably best to have him out there with like maybe Emmanuel Quickly, mm-hmm. uh, who can handle some of that that primary ball handling responsibility. Certainly Julius Randle. Um, certainly RJ Barrett, you know, put him out there with guys that 
are going to be able to also take some of that ball handling responsibility. Cause I think we've seen Burks's best thing is just creating for himself and creating shots. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's like one of the best guys on the team at just taking the ball and figuring something out and creating a three pointer, creating, you know, a drive inside or, or finding a mismatch, you know, on a quick little pick and exploiting it, getting to the rim, you know, drawing a foul or whatever. Like he's, he's probably the best guy on the team for that, but not necessarily the guy you want running the offense. So I agree. That is probably one of the main things that's a little concerning to me. And, and when he gets that onus put on him of being sort of the playmaker, it, it does seem to kind of take him out of his groove sometimes. Mm-hmm. So just finding situations to make him comfortable is definitely a, a big offensive key, I think, for the Knicks going forward as far as the offense is concerned. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be interesting also to see at some point recently, fairly, whatever, relatively recently, when Thibodeau was asked about starting Peyton, I don't know how much of those answers I ever believe because I, I think the most the most likely reasons that Tom Thibodeau starts Alfred Peyton probably have to do with um, like politics, um, mm-hmm. either in terms of the agent or in terms of just team dynamic things that we don't know about. Um, it's probably mostly that, but I do think that he has to look for, because he interacts with these people, he has to look for the best possible um, motivations in every situation. And I wonder if this will change in the playoffs, especially given Peyton's struggles on the court and his seeming increased aloofness on and off it. Thibodeau said something before about starting Peyton, and, and Rose, I think, supported it afterwards, that it gave Rose a chance to see how the game unfolded. And when he came in, he would know like what to bring. And I can buy that. Like, I don't, I don't know if I buy it in that situation exactly, but I can buy it. I can buy that Derek Rose at this point, like veteran, you know, sagacious player that he is. Hey, if, if letting him sit for five or six minutes and absorb the vibe and then come in and do what he's been doing, like, for all the everything with Peyton, like a lot of things are working on the team, which suggests that like maybe, maybe, maybe there's a lot more going on, you know, just in a giant holistic way, and that's why Peyton plays. But if Thibodeau is telling the truth that one reason Peyton starts is it gives Rose a chance to absorb and come in, I would have to think that kind of argument is less compelling when the playoffs roll around because you're not now getting through a regular season basically playing a different team every night and going at a certain pace and trying to accomplish certain general things. Like you have to win basically like all the time. Now I'm, I'm sure Rose's minutes are going to go up. I can't imagine with all the, all the minutes restrictions that are going to happen and all the minutes that are going to be, you know, now kind of squeezed out of opportunity, how much can Peyton possibly play in the playoffs, given how little he's been playing up to this point. But I don't know. I don't know how to say anything definitively about the Peyton situation because I don't understand it still. And and the way he's played and and the stuff you're seeing, body language wise and just vibe wise, like I cringe when I see it because on a human level I feel bad for the fact that this man is obviously having a difficult career experience at the moment. And and but I don't know what the hell's going on. Like I, I, right now, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this besides starting to entertain like bizarre concepts like Peyton's dad owns CAA or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
I, I, I certainly don't know either. I, it does feel very agent favory. Although I honestly, it, you know, if he then goes from starting like every available game that he could have started this season to then completely benched in the playoffs, I feel like that's a way worse look than gradually phasing him out could have ever been. Yeah, uh, I don't think do I've I ever know? seen that before. Like, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, not sure. but what do I know? I'm not a sports agent. <laughs> um, I do think, and I mean, like I said, I know there's. Uh, we're going to be doing more shows on this too as the week goes on. But I think maybe one other solution that's potentially kind of staring us in the face here that we didn't even really bring up is you just start Burks instead of Peyton. And yeah. that yeah. still allows you to, if Rose wants to come in off the bench, if that's actually like his comfort zone, which we've seen that before, like yes. Mitchell Robinson, his first two years in the league. Mm-hmm. That was his comfort zone. And <laughs> over time, I sort of grew to just respect that because it was like, all right, whatever. You're playing like 30-something minutes. You know, it, Taj was doing okay filling in as like the token starter last year before Mitch would come in and mm-hmm. and run shit, you know, mm-hmm. later on. And, uh, you know, so it's fine. If that's your comfort zone and that's how Rose wants to play, then that's cool. I would probably prefer his stints be split up a little more so that he's not playing like 18 minutes straight sometimes. But mm-hmm. that is what it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but like... If you start Burks, then you're surrounding Randall again. Your your best playmaker on the team with just shooting, 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 shooting. Other than other than Noel, obviously, but you mm-hmm. know you get him three shooters out there, three legit, capable forty percent high volume three point shooters in Burks, Bullock, and RJ. That you know, especially in the case of Bullock and RJ, are like spot up specialists. Although Burks, or um, yeah, Burks has actually been a pretty acceptable spot up shooter as well as being a good pull up guy. So, you know, just lots of good offense around Randall in that way opens up those potential like reverse pick and rolls also that are are really deadly. You can run a reverse pick and roll with any of those three guys and put Randall in a good spot to potentially kick it out to them for sort of a pick and pop or just get him really easy opportunities against smaller guys on the inside. So, there's a lot to potentially think about. I mean, there's a lot of potential you know, combinations you could do. But I like your point too about this isn't the regular season anymore. You know, you're going to be facing the same team potentially seven times in a row. Um, If you play your cards right, potentially four to five, you know, and I Mm -hmm. I do think that that's not completely out of the realm of possibility for the Knicks versus the Hawks just because of the way that the two teams match up. So, you know, you got to be prepared to, to take advantage of every little thing you can do. And, the playoffs, you know, regardless of if the Knicks went three and zero against the Hawks, and regardless of if it's a good matchup, you can't just punt the first seven minutes of each half and expect that to go well for you because you got to be just on your A game twenty four seven from all points going forward. So, along those yeah. lines, are we ready to have the conversation about like is it greedy to live in this universe where this team is this good and say? It really does make sense for Nilakina to get Peyton's minutes. Do oh we, yeah. Do we pray for that? Like, is there any hope of that happening? Like, because I have to say, every time Nilakina has come in for his stints, like he's been prepared and he's done his thing. He keeps hitting. Yeah. He keeps hitting his threes. He keeps having a defensive impact. I don't see how the team would suffer at all from having Nilakina do everything that Peyton does. Yeah, because, it, you know, again, it, no matter what, you could slot a non-ball dominant player into Peyton's spot in the starting lineup, and I, I don't feel like it hurts you one bit because, yeah. you know, Frank is capable enough with the ball in his hands. Just like, yep. mm-hmm. you know, it, like he's like more capable with the ball in his hands than, say, Bullock, for example. You know, he's not yes. just purely a guy that can only take two dribbles. 
mm-hmm. you know, or, or else he's kind of stranded. You know, like Bullock mm-hmm. very rarely does much more than like a dribble to decide just to, you know, clear himself a little space on yep. a pump fake or something. You know, Frank can legitimately, I mean, he could put it on the floor. He can get inside. He can kick to people. He can do all those sort of things. While also, I mean, he's just been an absolute marksman from the corners. He hasn't had much opportunity to to prove that this is a a volume supported thing, but he shot really, really well from the corners this year, like like 47 or like overall, like 47% from three. Yeah. And just an absolute gunner from the corners again this year. So, I mean, yeah, I think you could very easily just slot him in too. And if it's going to just be, you know, fine, if you want to make it a token start where you just have him start each half with some defensive intensity and some, yep. some three point shot making, I don't think a single Knicks fan in the world would would care about that. I mean, maybe some fans, you know, still want to hold that hope that he could be the guy closing every game or whatever. But if you put him out there to start and he just gives you six minutes to start each half where he defends his ass off and makes mm-hmm. a couple three-pointers and kind of sets the tone, yeah, that's fine. That's way more than what Alfred's been giving you lately. So, you know, yeah. use those same minutes but put him in a productive way and not have to tax anybody else by absorbing extra minutes thanks to, you know, Elf just being kind of shunned from the rotation. I think that'd be a perfect solution. But at any rate, we're uh, we're starting to run a little long, and we are getting very into the weeds with this whole preview thing. So maybe we'll have to do another part of this at some point. But I think we're now is a good time to to sort of wrap up the discussion for today. Uh, So Miranda, do you want to remind everybody where to find you online, um, where to find your work, and the various huge number of places that you do, and uh, anything else you want to sort of promote before we send you off here? You can find me on Twitter at mmiranda613, um, M-M-I-R-A-N-D-A-613. Also, um, we, I host the Jacobin Sports Show once a week. You can find us on Twitter at Jacobin Sports. I have work coming out this week for Posting and Toasting, uh, postingandtoasting.com, and also we'll have something at the Strickland, strict.land, and invariably in the next couple of weeks i'll also have more stuff coming out from fan-sided but that is where most of my stuff will be in the next couple of weeks and on the air so look out for it yeah one of the hardest working dudes in this blogging landscape for sure uh so miranda thank you so much for coming on and to anybody that hasn't already definitely follow miranda on twitter i know you just got over a thousand the other day which was extremely long overdue so maybe if enough people are listening they can get you over 2,000 followers because i think that would be a little more appropriate uh but at any rate thanks so much for coming on and uh i appreciate this conversation i think this is great such a such a fun victory lap to take still setting in uh that the knicks are this good and the knicks are back like this but uh thanks so much for coming on miranda really appreciate it yeah i i have not looked up a single thing about the draft at this point this year this is a brave new world. I am very happy to be here. and Thank you for having me on. And now that you've gotten your dose of the Knicks for today, get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. And with that, that's been this edition of Locked On Knicks. Gavin and I will be back with more coming up this whole week, getting you guys ready for the playoffs. So stay tuned for that. And of course we'll have our weekly locker room chat on Thursday as well. If you all want to come through for that more victory lapping, more getting ready for the playoffs. It'll be a really good time. So until next time, this has been locked on Knicks. Peace out. Talk to you all soon.